Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 298 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday morning, March 23rd, 2021. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is now over. Now that it is finally Tuesday, because this is the year where the NCAA tournament started a day late and we had to finish on Monday. So the Sweet 16 is set. The ACC has two teams going. Of course, neither of them are the Duke Blue Devils, but we are here to talk about the tournament. We are here to get into some coaching and transfer rumors, most of which don't relate to Duke, So, but are related to uh, some teams that I feel like some Duke fans are going to have some, some opinions and thoughts on. So we're going to talk about all of that. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein. I'm coming to you, as I usually do, from Boston. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Evans in Atlanta. Good morning, Jason. I know you've got your big uh, cup of joe this morning, and so you're ready to get fired up about transfer rumors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting time of year. And, you know, Sam, you said we haven't heard much about Duke, but we're hearing about these other teams. I, I, I strongly suspect we will hear about Duke. The, the transfer market is going to be insane. I don't think there's going to be any team in the country that won't be affected. Yeah, no one is immune this year from the transfer market, given how open the policy is going to be. Donald Wine is also here. He is at home in Washington. And folks, get ready. Donald, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I am talking to you on what is a new microphone. So hopefully I sound better than the old microphone, uh, because if not, I have a return to do. But uh, so far, it sounds so sounds good. And uh, hopefully you guys feel the same. The returns are promising so far, at least from from my end. And, and, and we'll let the, the listeners comment to us. Speaking of the listeners commenting to us, we have gotten some great responses to the DBR podcast survey. I will tell you one more time that the URL for that is tinyurl.com slash DBR podcast survey. There's a lot of questions in there, so we know it takes a few minutes to get through, but we've gotten a ton of great responses. We're not closing it yet. Go in there this week, fill it out tinyurl.com slash DBR podcast survey. One thing that I'm very glad, and I again, I won't read, I said this last time, I won't read any of the answers, the specific answers that we got yet or, or tell you about any of the data because I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't looked at it yet. But one of the questions that we ask is about what other podcasts you listen to. And I have been most interested in finding out what else our listeners are listening to because some of them overlapped with some of our interests. And there's some stuff that, that, I'm either not aware of or, or I haven't listened to before. So that's been really fun to read. And, and you know, it's worth noting, we will not keep this private. We uh, not saying we're oh, eventually we're going to share it, but yeah. we will. Yeah. On the podcast, we will discuss some of the things that you all have told us because there's it's good insight for us and it's good insight for all of you. And it's going to be fun to talk about um, and, and find out the results. I will tell you this. The one thing that I will do is go through the list of all the other podcasts that people listen to. Uh, I, I've planned today to go through and steal some of their your podcast ideas and add them to my queue as well. So thank you for those suggestions out there because uh, that was both for you and for us. Oh, that was definitely, I I, I threw that question in there and it, and it was definitely partially self-serving because I'm always trying, to, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm always trying to update my feed. So so this is good. Some of the ones I'm, in there, I think were things I already knew about, but, but there I'm are some new ones in as well. I'm convinced that this whole thing was a ruse this is all a sham. This is just Sam's way of finding out what other podcast people listen to. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit that. I, and, and I think there's a whole other meta conversation about that that we will get into, I think, when we, when we dive more deeply into the results of the survey. Guys, let's talk about the NCAA tournament because it was a wild second round that I want to, I want to dissect with you guys. The top line stats on 
on what is going into the Sweet 16 are incredible. I think I saw that this is the the highest average seed ever going into the Sweet 16. There are more double digit seeds than ever. There are there are, so therefore there are more upsets than ever. This has been an absolutely wild tournament in what could be considered like the most neutral setting for a tournament. You would think that in a year where there are fewer fans going to the games and the games are all in the exact same sterile environment that you might see more chalk because because you're going to eliminate some of the random factors. There's no there's no Duke having to play South Carolina in South Carolina this year. None of that is happening. And yet there is more chaos than ever. We've got double digit seeds, lots of double digit seeds going to the second weekend. We have the Big Ten only sending one team to the second weekend and the Pac-12 is sending four teams. Everything is upside down. Donald Wine, I want you to, to take it first. You actually still have a team that you're rooting for that's in this tournament, which is Michigan, who was able to pull it out against LSU yesterday in what for the first like 35 minutes of the game was one of the most fun games of the second of the second round, although it ended up not being all that interesting at the end as Michigan kind of won it going away. But Donald, start me off. Tell me about any of your observations from the round of 32 and, and what you liked or didn't like. So this is why they play the games. We talked about this last summer with the NBA bubble. When you have teams that are on a neutral court, there's very few fans. There's no home court advantage for anyone you find out which teams just want to play ball. And in this tournament, we are seeing some of the teams that can actually play ball that we may not have seen this year. We are seeing that they can come out and play some basketball. Loyola, Chicago, I I know we'll talk about them in in, a little extended in in a little bit, but I think that they are a team that most people probably walked into this tournament having seen zero seconds of them play all year. And now they are one of the teams that is in the Sweet 16. You also have... You know, the, the Pac-12, who we talked about on the last show, has been summarily dismissed because a lot of people don't stay up late on the East Coast to watch Pac-12 games. And they are killing folks. I mean, what Oregon did to Iowa yesterday, what USC did to Kansas yesterday, it was just remarkable. And even though I had seen both teams play, I did not expect those type of performances. So you see some teams that are really just out here trying to play ball. And another team that I do want to shout out really quick is UCLA. UCLA, you always pick one team that's in the first four because undoubtedly they're going to win at least one game. UCLA has gotten better somehow as the tournament has progressed, and now they're in the Sweet 16, one of the great, I think one of the great performances by one of the lower-seeded teams that we've seen. Donald, you made an observation that I also noticed, and I wanted to ask you your opinion on it before I moved over to Jason. You mentioned that UCLA is going to the Sweet 16. They're one of these 11 seeds that was in the play-in game. How does this happen every year? Like, I, I intuitively to me, by the time you get to that third game in five days, you should be notably more tired than your opponent. And your opponents should all be better than you are because you're the 11 seed. So you, should, you shouldn't be playing anyone that's lower seeded than you at least until the second weekend. And that would only happen in rare circumstances. Well, wait, so wait, why wait. is UCLA, that happening? UCLA played... A team that was lower seated than them. UCLA True. wore this, this their This time they did. That's right. Against Abilene <laughs> Christian. I mean, it's crazy to think about that at 11 yeah, that's, that's was incredible. the home team. <laughs> and even in that, even in that scenario, though, they they, st- they were overwhelming and and they looked like they hadn't been playing a lot and and doing all the traveling and stuff. Like, what what do you what can we attribute that to? Momentum and confidence. Simple yeah. as that. I mean, when you when you're in that first game, you get the confidence of saying that you want an NCAA tournament game. I mean, for a 16 seed. 
they have a little bit of momentum, but that's really what they came to do. They want to win. They run into Gonzaga and they run into a Gonzaga or a Baylor or Illinois or something like that. Right. But for an 11 seed, they get the confidence and they know that they have the tools to beat a team that's better than them. I mean, it's not like it's, it's not like it's the Norfolk States of the world. It's the UCLA's it's the Michigan States. It's, it's those teams that have some program pedigree. And when you get the confidence and you get the momentum that always carries them at least through one of the games. And if you think about it, you know, Drake was pretty close in the first round. They almost won their first round game after winning in the first four. So that all that momentum and that confidence really goes a long way for these teams. And I think that is what UCLA is running. But like I said, with UCLA, the thing that I love most about them is that they have gotten better every single game. And it's almost unfortunate for them that their momentum is kind of stopped by the fact that they have a five day break before the sweet 16, but they are in the sweet 16. I think for them, that's what counts after a season that's been very up and down. They are now back. Jason, I told you over the weekend that I had made a lot of picks that had gone poorly, but that I had successfully picked Loyola Chicago to not only be very impressive, but to beat Illinois. Why don't you now tell me about Loyola Chicago and and how they were able to pull off? I think I mean there were so many great upsets this weekend, but I think the the most impressive one and the one that stands out in terms of seed lines is the only number one seed getting knocked off. That's Illinois, and it came at the hands of Loyola Chicago. So tell me about the Ramblers going back to the Sweet Sixteen. And and by the way, a, a game where Loyola Chicago was in the lead the entire game, dominated. And, uh, yeah, I absolutely mean, dominated. <laughs> It, it's unbelievable to to imagine that this team from this tiny conference who really didn't play much of anybody all year long, I, I will freely admit, Sam, when, when you said that you'd pick them to upset Illinois, I mocked you for it. I was like, the best team they've beaten is Drake. And I, and I was like, they're, they're no good. And I was 100% dead wrong about that. A, a hugely impressive win on their part. I would say there is a, they have a very, very good chance of reaching another Final Four. I mean, like, it's crazy, but I want folks to think back. This is, what, this is how Gonzaga got started. I mean, it may have been, Sam, you probably barely remember this, but <laughs> Gonzaga got started by being a low-seeded team from, you know, a small mid-major that made a couple runs in the tournament and suddenly, barely, barely a, a mid-major Gonzaga yeah. plays in a low major conference. Yeah. And, and, and suddenly people started sort of paying attention to them and they got a little bit better players, you know, as recruits because they were a legit, you know, a sort of a legit destination. And, and then they rose up to become what they've become over the past decade and a half, almost two decades now. So Loyola to some extent is, is going along the same path that Gonzaga went on in the, in the nineties. Uh, and, and it's, you know, here we are, history repeating itself. It's remarkable to see. But but I do want to, one thing about Loyola that I want to talk about is, uh, and, and it's a really interesting notion, and, and I, will, I will freely admit that uh, the CBS Ion College Basketball podcast discussed this at length, this notion that Loyola was underseated and that it was really unfair to Illinois. And, and the idea is this, even though Loyola was not a team that had a lot of impressive quadrant one wins and, and didn't play, you know, high-profile Power Five conference teams during the regular season, the advanced metrics, folks like Ken Pomeroy, the people who, you know, look at scores of games and compare them using computers to hundreds of other games, they said this Loyola team's really, really good. In fact, Ken Pomeroy, we noted this on the podcast, Ken Pomeroy said Loyola is one of the 10 best teams in the country. 
and and yet uh, you know look at their seed they got an eight seed how how could one of the 10 best teams in the country get an eight seed so the the question then became and this is what Gary Parrish discussed extensively on the Iron College Basketball podcast well this was really unfair to Illinois that Loyola probably should have been you know a four five six seed and so Illinois got screwed and the idea is that Illinois should not have played a team as good as Loyola in their second round game. Now, before I get into that in more depth, Sam, I know you're someone who, who disagrees with that take. I happen to agree with that take. I think it's unfair to Illinois that they had to play the Loyola. It's not that, it, it's not that I disagree with that. I, I, I guess I look at it from a, from a bigger picture standpoint, which is, look, Loyola's in the tournament just like everyone else is, and the seedings are what the seedings are. Maybe that means that Illinois has a tougher path to getting to the Sweet 16 or getting to the Elite Eight. But ultimately, Illinois' goal in this tournament was to make the Final Four. Like, Illinois was one of the best teams in the country all year. We Duke fans got to see them up close when, when they played our team. And, and it was, you know, I remember when we were previewing that game, we were like, all right, this is how Duke is going to have to defend Io DeSumo and Kofi Cokeburn and, and, and all these guys who are who are stars for Illinois. And when they came out on the floor, the Illini were just better than Duke. Like Duke was not going to win that game. And, and Illinois would like won it going away. So Illinois goal this year was final four national championship. They were looking at the very top of the sport. They were going to have to meet Loyola or a team like Loyola at some point. It was probably not going to be in the first weekend of the tournament, but it was going to be in the second weekend. And, and for all the sweet 16 teams that we're excited about, that are that are headed there next weekend that are you know number 10 seeds or 11 or 12 or whoever you know UCLA and Syracuse all these teams they're going to run into buzzsaws at some point be it in the next round or or the, or in the round after that and what you're going to remember from this tournament i think the things that stand out are the teams that make the final four and the teams that win the national championship and so yeah maybe illinois got one slightly harder game but i i don't think in the in the big picture i'm not super concerned about it because you got to win the games that are in front of you and Gonzaga's handled business and Baylor has handled their business and Michigan had a tough game against LSU and LSU team that had a pretty good season. And, you know, they're not as good according to the metrics as Loyola, but, but they're a strong team and, and all those teams sort of took care of business. So I, I get it from the perspective that, that yeah, Illinois gets screwed in a little bit of a way, but these are, you know, fractions of, of, uh, of a potential win here that, that are being taken away from them. I, I, I don't know if I'd call it fractions, but I, so let me explain why I think they did get screwed. And, and I'll start by saying, I agree with you. And I agree with anyone who says, look, you got to win the games in front of you in the NCAA tournament. That's, you know, as simple as it may be. And if Loyola was going to beat Illinois, whether they beat them in the round of 32 or the sweet 16 or wherever, Illinois clearly wasn't prepared to beat Loyola. I'm not going to defend. There's no question about that. I'm not going to defend that. The reason I think Illinois got screwed is that you're supposed to play an appropriate team in each game. Ordinarily, Illinois, in that second round, they've earned the right by being a number one seed, by, by the virtue of their regular season. In that round of 32 game, they were supposed to play like a top 30-ish kind of team. Instead, they got a top 10 team. And against a top 10 team, your margin for error is just much, much tighter, much smaller than it is against a top 30 team. Now, if Illinois had won that game, they'd be facing another top 10, top 15 kind of team in the Sweet 16. So they essentially, what they got was, rather than playing a round of 32 game, they got a Sweet 16 game. And, and they would have had to do that twice in a row. And th to me, that's what I feel 
is unfair to Illinois. I'm not saying that, you know, like, oh, this means Illinois should have won or something silly like that. But each each time you're supposed to play sort of an appropriate team for that level, especially if you are a number one seed who has earned the right to face sort of a lesser team, especially in the first couple rounds. And and I think in that regard, that's where Illinois got screwed. And and, and look, I, I want to point out, by the way, Georgia Tech got screwed, too. Georgia Tech won the ACC tournament and their reward for that. And, and Georgia Tech was as hot as any team in the country going down the stretch. And their reward was playing a top 10 team in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's not fair to them either. The committee needs to figure out a way to deal with teams like Loyola, where the advanced metrics, where the computers all say, this is a hell of a team. And the, the, the scheduling eye test says that they aren't as good as you might think. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to go to seating by computer, but we need to find a happy medium. So there is, we can't have a team that's number 10 in Ken Palm getting an eight seed. We just can't. So I think when it comes to Loyola, we're talking about all the teams that were screwed by Loyola playing them. And I think the team that is screwed is Loyola. Because you said, yes, Jason. yes, no, you're right. It, uh, sorry, it, it goes both ways. Loyola shouldn't have had to play a team as good as Georgia Tech and shouldn't have had to play a team as good as Illinois in the in the second round. They, they right. won. So we're not talking about them as much. But you're absolutely right. If you play well enough to be a top 10 Ken Palm seed, uh, a top 10 Ken Palm team, you shouldn't be seated that low. It affects you and your opponents. Right. But at the same time. The, the metrics are just one part of the piece that they look at. They look at the eye test. They look at the records and stuff. They look at a lot of things. And with 12 quad four wins stacking their resume, Loyola was not going to get a two seed or a three seed that they were, you know, that the metrics say sh they should have been in. They were just never going to happen. That was never going to happen. So they could have been a nine. They're, they probably should have been nine. But if they get smoked by Illinois, this is not a discussion. The discussion is that Loyola beat Illinois and all of a sudden it's Illinois that got screwed and they focus in on Illinois and they focus in on that sort but wait, wait, I think wait, wait. when it comes I'm to sorry did, did you say you you think Loyola should have been a nine I'm not saying that they shouldn't have I said they should not have been a nine oh, okay but I'm the sorry. fact that okay. they, they they beat Illinois makes this a discussion if they get smoked by Illinois they're not talking about oh Loyola shouldn't have been a nine they would have said oh they're appropriately seated and they got beat by the appropriate team but since they're not going to give them a two or three someone is going to get screwed in this equation there's two teams Loyola is going to get screwed because they're not getting the seed that they deserve. And the team that they're facing is not getting an appropriate team. That's just how the NCAA tournament works. This isn't the first time that this has happened. It won't be the last time, but because there are 68 teams, someone is going to get hosed somewhere. That's how this bracket works. It's almost the beauty of the bracket that someone gets a tougher road to the final four than someone else. And that is what Illinois got. And they ran into a juggernaut in Loyola, Chicago. They got beat. Okay, we will leave the conversation about Loyola and Illinois there. Donald, I wanted to come back to you because the ACC had two teams make the second weekend. Florida State, which is a team that I think, I don't know if most people predicted would make it, but certainly not a team that we are surprised to be making it to the second weekend. They're a number four seed. They've been one of the top you know, two or three teams in the ACC each of the last five or six years under Leonard Hamilton, always been a strong contender, but they are making it to the second weekend. The other team that is going from the ACC that is representing Duke's conference is Syracuse, who was a number 11 seed. This is now the third tournament in five years in which they have been a double digit or third tournament in five tournaments, I guess, because we didn't have the tournament last year, but third in five tournaments where 
Syracuse is a double-digit seed and is going to the second weekend to play in the Sweet 16. Donald, what are your thoughts on the ACC and its performance this weekend? Well, translate that with, you know, we've talked about all year people have said the ACC is down, that they don't have the horses to really make it, and that the Big Ten is everything. Well, when you look at the Sweet 16, the Big Ten has one team out of nine that made it, and that's Michigan. Welcome to small ACC. sample size university. <laughs> this is, right. This is it. And, and the ACC, which was supposed to have such a down year, still has two teams make the, the Sweet 16. Now, it's probably not the two teams that we all expected in Florida State and Syracuse. But I will say about Syracuse, I think the reason why they do so well in the tournament is because of their matchup zone. And that's not something that you can replicate. You have to see it in action to kind of be able to defend it. And the great thing is all the teams in the ACC get to see Syracuse every year and they get to see this matchup zone at least once. So if someone else tries to bring it into the NCAA tournament, those teams are ready for it. But no one else in the, in the, country, in the country really has to deal with that. So when Syracuse shows up and they play their matchup zone, it's something that on video, and I say this as someone who back in high school, I played the matchup zone. We did this at times during our high school career because it was something that always shocked offenses, always, because they never knew how to defend it. You can't really see it on video, and you can't really see how it works in its intricacies until you get on the court and actually play it, and by then it's too late. So Syracuse, as an 11 seed, people are like, oh, they're under, they're, they're not underseeded. They, they, they're up and down. They're inconsistent. Yeah, they, they've but that earned matchup zone shows seed. up. Right. Yeah, and, but and that matchup zone shows up, and, and when it does – it's like a shock to the system. And before you know it, Syracuse is out in the lead and you're trying to figure out how to, the adjustments at halftime are major to compare to Syracuse who are just like, oh, well, you know, change this, change this, tweak this, tweak that. Other teams are having whole scale locker room discussions about how to attack a matchup zone that they have never seen before. And when you're trying to do that in the middle of the NCAA tournament game, it's already too late. Yeah, and and especially for that second game in the weekend, it's hard to have that that quick turnaround. Like for the first game, maybe you get that opportunity, but, uh, but for that, that second game. So this was Syracuse playing West Virginia. So we got the, the old big East rivalry back for this one game, but West Virginia hasn't gotten to play Syracuse in years. So, so like you said, they're, they're not able to prepare the same way. I, I'm, I, even despite that, I'm still surprised because Syracuse throughout the ACC season was so up and down that it's like, Man, I, I can't believe that, that they're here again, but here they are. So, so credit to Jim Beheim. And, and by the way, Jim Beheim co- coaching uh, his son as the, as the best player on the team. Like you would think this is not a recipe for a, for a Sweet 16 appearance, but here they are. The, there's definitely people who are talking about the Beheims and just talking about the fact that remember three years ago, Jim Beheim was about to retire. And then he said, No, my son is coming to school. So I want to coach him. And everyone's like, Wait a minute. A dude who is literally like there are coaches in this tournament that have like Coach K has a Coach grandson. K's grandson is in grandson is on the team or is on the team not and is playing against Syracuse where Beheim has a son. That is just incredible if you just look at it that way. But it is great that Buddy is is really showing out in this tournament. He's played very well. So I want to point out something incredible about Jim Beheim. As long as we're talking about Syracuse, and you guys covered a lot of the things that I wanted to mention, but. You know, he had never been he had never been a double digit seed until five years ago. This is a guy who's had like a 40 plus year career. I think he's the second winningest coach of all time behind Coach K made dozens of tournaments. He had never been a double digit seed until five years ago. And and as you guys noted, he now makes three sweet 16s as a double digit seed. 
And Jason, now that he's had this success as a double digit seed, I feel like that's just his going to be his MO from here on out. He's just going to play the field. He's <laughs> as many, as many years as, as Jim Beheim is still going to be probably coaching. talking to the committee like, Hey, you know, do I need to beat this team or can I just be in 11? Like, can I just be in 11? Cool. And then once he's in 11 seed, bam, he's off and running. He's going to the final four. That's basically his MO for the rest of this, of the rest of his career. So we'll look ahead later in the week at, at the, the, games to be but jason give me a final thought on the setup of the bracket as it stands right now i mean it's it's crazy and we've talked about this goes back to where we began only two two seeds remain only one three seed remains in the whole tournament i mean the number of great teams to fall out is truly incredible but the bracket to really look at is the midwest one of these teams loyola oregon state syracuse or houston will be in the final four Houston's a two seed, but I mean, they aren't the kind of team where everyone's been paying attention to them all year. They're not from a major, major conference. They're from a, you know, sort of the best of the big mate of the mid majors. But I mean, I want you to think about that. One of Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, Syracuse or Houston will be in the final four. And I I think you could have gotten very long odds on that at the start of the bracket. (laughs) I will tell you, Jason, I do have Houston in my final four. So go Cougs. Props. Props, man. Well done. There you go. Good job, Donald. And and we look forward to uh, to dissecting everyone's brackets after the after the next weekend of what will probably be more chaos. Cameron is excited about about the chaos to come. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into some coaching and transfer rumors. We'll sort of just sum up all, all the things that we know to this point. So stick around. And we're back. As promised, we are going to talk about some of the rumors that are swirling around college basketball. There was an article last night, I believe, from Brendan Marks at The Athletic about all of the uh, changes that are that have come and are potentially coming to UNC. The what we know so far is that Walker Kessler is transferring. He announced that yesterday, the the freshman center who Duke had had recruited very heavily and who I think a lot of the experts had actually picked to come to Duke. So the fact that Walker Kessler was even in a UNC uniform this year, I think was a, was a surprise to many of the folks that follow recruiting very closely, but he's announced that he is transferring. I think there was a, a something of a glut of big men at UNC this past season. So I think that added to sort of the surprise that he would have picked UNC, given that Dayron Sharp was coming in with him as well as Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks coming back. That field clears up a little bit next year with with Brooks graduating and and Dayron Sharp possibly likely leaving for the NBA draft. He's a projected first round pick. But um, let, let let's kind of dissect that a little bit. I know Jason, you had you had been um, gathering some rumors as well. What are you hearing about Walker Kessler and UNC and kind of other situations with transfers around the ACC and the country? So Sam, I want to start with uh, the UNC situation, and and I, I will freely say that I've heard through the grapevine, through sources and things like that. God, I feel silly to say sources, but uh, over the course of time, I have developed some sources on all this stuff. Um, uh, I've heard the same kind of things that Brendan Marks wrote about in in his excellent article in The Athletic regarding Walker Kessler. um, uh, Walker Kessler had COVID early in the year. Uh, It it affected his playing time. And once he was a little bit better, um, uh, he still wasn't getting the kind of minutes that, that he and his family felt he deserved based on his performance. I think I spoke about you know, in our preview before Duke's Carolina game, I mentioned that when Walker Kessler plays 20 plus minutes, he puts up huge, huge numbers, but he wasn't getting more than 10, 12 minutes in, in virtually all Carolina's games late in the season. 
And if you're a kid who, when you get to play, you suddenly find that you're dominating the game. And I mean, and Walker Kessler dominated good Walker Kessler dominated Florida state. Um, you're, you're going to really start to question why, why am I at a school that's not letting me play when it's clear I can perform at a very, very, very high level um, when I get a chance. Uh, so Walker Kessler's family became disenchanted at UNC. Uh, at least this is what I've heard. And, and as a result, he wants to move on. Um, he's been linked to a few different schools. Uh, Duke is not one of them. Uh, he's been linked to Gonzaga. There are a lot of people saying he may end up, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks saying that Gonzaga is going to lose a lot of players to the draft and elsewhere after this season, as, as they should, you know, with their kind of performance this year. But there are a lot of people saying Gonzaga is not going, going to rebuild. They're going to reload. And that Walker Kessler may be part of that reloading. He's also been linked to Kentucky. Um, there is a, uh, there's a player who played at, at Auburn, a guy named uh, Justin Powell, who played AAU ball with Walker Kessler. Um, and they are good friends sort of from back in high school. And Justin Powell is actually from the state of Kentucky. He played at Auburn because he didn't get a scholarship offer from Kentucky when he was in high school. Once he played at Auburn and he showed that he was really pretty good, um, Kentucky has been after him. And most people think that Justin Powell is going to go to Kentucky. And there's a lot of speculation that Walker Kessler may doom him, may join him as well. I, I, I want to point out, I, I think it's worth segueing at this point. We've, we've mentioned this, this transfer portal stuff is going to be truly insane. Teams are going to be completely remade. And, and, and there's, there's talk that North Carolina may, that Armando Baycott maybe looking to transfer um, that all the Carolina big men sort of don't like the way that they, that Carolina plays a very traditional style with their big men. They don't play an NBA style of game. And as a result, um, Carolina's big men are sort of looking to get out of Dodge, <laughs> but uh, uh, the transfer market is going to allow UNC and all these other schools, plenty of opportunity for movement. Last I checked, are you guys ready for the statistic? Here's the number. There were more than 700 kids who had already entered the transfer portal. I want to repeat that. There are about 350 teams in Division I. Already, more than 700 have entered the transfer portal. That's an average of two per team. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot. Not every one of even them. Heard, we haven't even heard any on the Duke side yet. I mean, th- yeah. as far as I know, there haven't even really been strong rumors about Duke. And, and look, you know, without saying their names, I'm sure you could speculate on which Duke guys would probably be most likely to transfer off of this team. But we haven't even really heard about any of that yet. No, no NBA uh, decisions that are, that are looming for Duke that, that at least have been announced. I'm sure they're talking about it, but it does seem like that, that, that the news out of Duke has been pretty bottled up recently. Yeah. And, and part of that is the team is still in quarantine. They, they were, they were required to do 14 days of quarantine, just the nature of, uh, of, of the COVID that happened on the team. Uh, and 14 days hasn't expired yet. Uh, I, I was I was texting with someone very close to the team just last night, and they said everyone's fine, everyone's doing great. You know, there haven't been other cases, but the guys are all still very much in quarantine. So so they haven't really had a chance to, you know, I, obviously with the internet. <laughs> look, you know, the three of us are talking via Zoom. <laughs> with the internet, you can you can communicate. It's not like they're stuck in their room and they can't do anything. But but these guys have not been out and about quite in the way that. Um, they ordinarily probably would be at, at this time of year. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. No one knows what's going to happen with, with transfers. And Duke, I would be shocked. There's so much transfer movement going on. I'd be shocked if it doesn't affect Duke. I'll be 
a little bit shocked if we don't hear about at least one player and I don't know who it will be, but, but I, you know, we would really be running up against the odds if we didn't have at least one player look to go elsewhere. And I think it's pretty likely Duke will be involved in the transfer market in terms of potentially getting someone to come to the team. It's not something that coach K has pursued in the past that much. Patrick to pay, you know, what was he's basically outlier? the first one? I mean, not right? the yeah, first he's the first grad transfer. First grad transfer, yes. Yeah, and, but, and we uh, haven't had a transfer come in. I guess, sorry, not the first transfer, but the first grad Dante, transfer. And we haven't right. had anybody transfer in since Seth Curry. So it's yeah. been it has Seth been a Curry, while. Dante Jones. I mean, Dante Jones and, Duke, and yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Duke had some transfers. Yeah, Rodney. Well, Hood. We, we lost. We lost. Well, right. Oh, Rodney right. Hood, I, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about Rodney Hood transferring in. Silly me. Yeah. So we 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 brought him in the past, but it's it. It, what it is today is completely different from what it was back when, when Seth and Rodney Hood and uh, and Dante Jones came to Duke. Uh, it, it it is a brand new market, and and I suspect Coach K. There's no way Coach K isn't aware of all this. If we're talking about it on the podcast, Coach K knows it's going on, and I think that you'll see Duke involved with. I don't know if we'll get him, but you'll see us involved with some of these transfers. I think when it comes to the transfer market and a couple other names, I mean, the rumors around UNC yesterday were kind of wild as the games were going on. Caleb Love was another guy listed as on the brink of transfer. I mean, there were rumors going. He could also so go to the draft. He could also go to the draft, Caleb Love. Yes, yeah. and there were some rumors that even suggested that Roy Williams might be retiring. So that's how like wild it was yesterday. It was, but I think when it comes to the actual transfers, this is, you know, uh, Steve Wiseman from uh, Raleigh News Observer had quoted. Coach K is saying that this was going to be the wild, wild west. And it's starting to shape up that way only because this is the one year that players know that they can use it or lose it. They can use a transfer and stay and and transfer into somewhere and play immediately. And they have a free year because everyone's getting a free year because of COVID. So this is the one year that it's going to shape up where all these players are examining their options. And I will note this just because a player enters the transfer portal doesn't necessarily mean that they're transferring. They could eventually, you know, look around and say, Hey, none of these schools are right for me. I'll just end up back at the school that I'm with. But the problem is, is that all these coaches have basically declared this now a new recruiting season. There's the recruiting season of all the high school players. And now there's this recruiting season of all the players in the transfer portal. And by the way, Duke is not done on the high school player front. Duke's still chasing two high profile high school recruits. So there are a lot of moving pieces for Duke with, I think, multiple guys that could be deciding to go to the NBA or at least test the waters. Guys who could consider transferring, guys who might be transferring in because we've talked about how many transfers there are and high school players. So there's going to be a, a lot of, a, I don't want to call it turmoil because ultimately there aren't, there may not be that many moves, but there's going to be a lot of discussion about who's in or out for the Blue Devils next season. And, and by the way, we we're only talking men's basketball. This is not just happening with the men. This is also happening with women. Notre Dame, one of the top programs in women's college basketball, had three, three players enter the transfer portal this week, including two five-star freshmen. Kara Lawson already brought in one five-star freshman transfer uh, from Louisville. Naya Green is coming to Duke and and will be eligible next year immediately. I I think you will see Kara Lawson, who is looking to rebuild that Duke program and who is someone who has a ton of sort of celebrity cred, um, I think you'll see Kara Lawson and Duke being very active in the women's transfer portal. And they already are, because on, on the flip of that, Kara Lawson has lost, I believe, three players of her own from Duke who have entered the transfer portal. Again, they could come back, but at least the fact that all these players are testing the waters, 
is because they have this option. If they're going to have the option, it's just like entering the draft and, and testing the draft waters. A lot of these players are just testing the draft portal because they can, and they, they have that ability to do so without losing a year and they get the year of eligibility back. It makes sense for some of these players who may be a little bit unhappy with their playing time or, or other situations they can transfer or at least test the waters and say, maybe I can get to a position that is better for me. And look at how Carlick Jones remade Louisville's season. Uh, you're going to see other Carlick Jones was a transfer into Louisville uh, from Radford, you know, a small big South program and, and ended up being first team all ACC. Believe me, there are plenty of other guys who were, you know, first team all conference in some small conference who realize I can become a player on the national stage I can raise my profile if I go to one of these bigger programs and, and it is a way to instantly remake your program in a way that's different from getting a high schooler, getting a freshman, because these transfers, they know college basketball. You already know some of the things they can do. Uh, it, it, it's a huge deal. It, 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 I think it will reshape college basketball more than the incoming freshman. The right transfer to the right school at the right time can make a world of difference. We have seen that on our team. I mean, just think about Dante Jones. Dante Jones, back in 2001, he transferred in. He had to sit out the championship year. But everyone that on that team will tell you that he was one of the best players on the team and that he was the reason why they won a national championship because he was able to replicate any player in college basketball as they were preparing to face everyone that they faced that season. And I think you heard a lot of the same things from behind the scenes on the 2010 team with Seth Curry. So... We, we certainly know how Great that can point. affect yep. Duke. So guys, we'll leave it there for this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Reminder, stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Any of your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything, send it to us. Don't forget to take our survey to give us a little bit more feedback about the show, tinyurl.com slash survey. I think we'll be back later in the week to talk a little bit more about the tournament and address any rumors. Certainly, if if big news comes out of Duke, we'll be back in your feed to talk about that. But until next time, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 298 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. So, guys, I just wanted to say it's it's amazing. Syracuse, you know, Jim Beheim had never been a double digit seed until like five years ago in his entire career. This is a guy who's been coaching forever. He had never in the NCAA tournament been a double digit seed till about like five, six years ago. He's now made three sweet 16s as a 10 or an 11 seed, which is oh, I, I already gave this fact. Oh, you already gave this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I just love about this Syracuse story is of course Buddy Beheim. He Jim Beheim's doing this where his his son is his best player. And and let's point out, I want to remind we did this everyone. Bit. We we did this bit too. <laughs> oh, <come on>. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you walked away from five minutes. I know, what are you supposed to do? I know. <sighs> you know, and by the way, the thing about Buddy Beheim, I I think it's worth noting. I mean, Beheim, Jim Beheim is coaching his son. Coach K is coaching. His grandson. Oh, we did and this bit too. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. You were uh, you were pretty to... long. <laughs> we really covered his whole life story. We did. Like... We did. We did. Okay, go. <laughs>
this is the outtake, by the way. <laughs> so, so just so you guys know, what happened was my, my yard guy showed up, and a couple yeah. of weeks ago, he uh, I was talking about some things we might do in the yard, and he never confirmed with us what he's going to do. He just showed up and he started doing it, and so my wife's like, "We haven't confirmed any of this yet." Yeah, so I had to go deal with him for five minutes, and and those five <laughs> minutes, you guys discussed everything I wanted to talk yeah, about. We, so we I, took all your points. Yeah, <laughs> I got nothing. I'm all finished. Uh, do you nothing else on the tournament? No, that I'm done. All right. <laughs> <laughs>